I can't believe we're here. I can't believe this is being aired the day softball starts. It's Olympic journey in Tokyo for 2021. I have literal goosebumps right now recording this. I am so excited about this episode because first of all, it's a huge day for softball. This is where dreams begin. I remember watching the Olympics with my dad growing up and just this is where the sparks started for me. This is where I realized this is the biggest place softball is being played and this is where the dream started. This week's episode is going to air all of the current and past Olympians And some of these past Olympians like Caitlin Lowe and Natasha Watley, they were the ones that I was watching this week of softball when I was younger. And wowza, I I just, I can't believe this episode's here for that reason, but also this is the finale. This is season one's finale. We started last fall, last October, and we're going to take a month off. We're going to take a month break. You know, some of you know I'm getting married. It's, It's time for just a little bit of a break, but We'll be back on September 1st, don't worry, with some new special guests and some really kick-butt episodes that you guys have been requesting. But before we can even get there, I want to let you know what today's all about. So we're going to have past and future and current Olympians on the pod today that we've had on this podcast, and we're taking the best of those episodes. So Delaney Spaulding, She's here. She's going to talk about how she's overcome this ACL tear that happened last year. And she is actually on the roster. She will be competing for Team USA in Japan. She has made the biggest comeback, and you'll be able to listen to that story. Aubrey Monroe is here. She's talking about how she she was on a travel ball team as the fourth string catcher, and now she's Team USA's catcher. Monica Abbott, she talks about playing to your strengths. Danielle Laurie, she plays for Team Canada. She is the ultimate role model for her two kids, and you'll learn her inspiring story of how she is literally setting the example for her two daughters. We have Jade Hewitt on the podcast. Jade Hewitt is the photographer for Team USA. She is in Japan right now taking shots of them. She started off as an intern for my professional team and is now taking pictures for Tops Guards and now is at the Olympics in Tokyo. Kat Osterman, of course, if you listen to last week's episode, we had Kat on. So we're talking about how she is able to keep her composure on the mound and her game face and why she has it. And last but not least on the pod, we have two of the former Olympians that I watched growing up and some of their advice. Natasha Watley, she talks about how her Olympic experience, Olympic experience was. She's been to two Olympics and her take on it is incredible. And then we have Caitlin Lowe. And she talks about how she had to master the failure recovery technique in order to become the elite slapper and the elite coach now at Arizona. Shout out to Caitlin. Before we had her on, she was simply the assistant in Arizona. Now she is the head coach there. So learning from her is going to be mind-blowing. So we've taken the best of all of these episodes and we put it into a jam-packed episode. This is going to be a longer one but I'm telling you every minute is fire. So kick back, relax, grab some popcorn. Hopefully you're listening to this before some of the first games start. 
but I'm so excited to have you here. Um, remember, this is where my Olympic dream started was this week. So I'm so excited to share with you, you know, our current Olympians and some former ones and an epic photographer that are literally paving the way for a lot of dreams to be started. So, so excited to have you guys here. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. So on September 1st, you know exactly when that episode is up and we're back at it. Um, and also just do it to show your support of the pod. I know so many people reach out to me every day saying, wow, this episode really changed my athlete's perspective or my perspective on the game. And if you benefit from it, I would love it if either you share this episode, you know, when you get to a peak point that really influences you or just subscribe to the podcast. It means the world to me to have your support. All right, let's head to the biggest episode we've had yet and the finale of season one the Olympic dream. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley V Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well, but now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players Some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us. Learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. All right. First up on the docket is my biggest role model, Caitlin Lowe. You guys heard it before on the podcast. She is the person who helped inspire me to see what I was capable of. And I got to interview her on the podcast. It's Loki, my favorite episode ever. So let's start with a bang and learn from Caitlin Lowe a few of these things. In this, in this part, you will learn how to get over a loss quicker and have a short-term memory, how failure recovery is something that needs to be practiced and how she learned how to practice it, how to harness high emotions and make sure we're not playing too big or too small. We, we need to find our peak performance level and how to find that is what you'll learn here. And also the best advice that she got, former Olympian Crystal Bustos, about how to get over a mistake and an error and being in a rut. And you guys are going to love this part. So let's head to the episode or the best part of the episode with Caitlin Lowe. You don't seem like the person when you strike out, like 
you're not really showing emotion. You're just like, get back in the dugout. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that was one of the coolest things to watch, you know, being the girl TiVoing you in the Women's College World Series. Like you never like got too high or too low, it looked like. So how do you feel? Well, first of all, why were you that way? I really want to know. Um, and then how do you think that helped you, you know, get over bad losses quicker or things like that? So when I was little, my dad, I played for a team called the Little Rascals. This was our, um, this was our rec ball team, right? Best uh, name ever. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do hitting lessons in like the old school batting cages where you put the tokens in and like it just the the big wheel goes around right the like old school thing and 30 minutes after our team hitting session he would sit us down it was like this little room and all the little rascals were in the room right and so we would read heads up baseball Mm. by Kita and um talk about early exposure to the mental game like I don't think there's enough credit or enough focus on the mental game when kids are little. And it was very apparent that, you know, when you're that age, I, I remember used like I used to be so emotional if I had a bad day and not like pouty, just like so frustrated that I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to handle my competitive like edge. Like I didn't know how to harness it. So those days were really important for me because I had like a failure recovery tool of I'm going to do something that's going to get rid of this and it's going to get rid of it fast. So I remember he talked about this like circle that when you're in the circle, it's when you're ready. Right. So anytime you step out of the circle, like take your moment, take your time, like get rid of all the negative. But when you step in the circle, it's about the next pitch. That was huge for me. So if I ever, you know, struck out. I always had um, a ritual. And I think he talked about this too. I would always pick up grass in the outfield, have my moment of pure like disgust in my (laughs) approach at the plate or whatever it was. And then I tossed the grass. And when I tossed the grass, it was gone. And, And I still did it in college. I still did it on the USA team. And I just you know, attached it to that, got rid of it. And then I was in my circle again. And I I kind of use the batter's boxes the same way, but man, like learning that under 10 years old is, I mean, thank you, dad, you know, for, for instilling those things in us that it's okay. I mean, look at the game we play. It's total failure all the time. Right. But it's okay to have those moments. It's just your response to those moments. And when you get here, you know, coach Candrea preaches all the time about, about being here you know, and the emotional state or emotionally stable individuals are the ones that are going to succeed. They don't have roller coaster days or weeks or seasons. So that was really important to have something that I could kind of grasp onto and say it's over. And then I so vividly remember uh, after school with Team USA, like my first year, getting really upset over an at bat. And it was like, on tour, random team were playing. And I was just like, not, not like terrible. Just like you could tell that I was not happy with myself. And <laughs> Bustos grabs me. She's like, she used to call me little one. She's like, little one. She's like, if, if you take every at bat that way, it's going to be really hard. Like it's going to take so much longer 
for you to bounce back to anything good. And, and she was so calm. And I think I remember her also struggling that day, but like her demeanor versus my demeanor was just like, it was just so noticeable as far as like, okay, I get it. Like I see it now too for myself that that's what it takes. It's like just, it's, it's a short memory and it's learning from it, but it's, it's man, just keeping your composure and using your breath and figuring out what you need to recover from the failure because for everyone, it's different. Some people need to scream and you need to let them scream. (laughs) You know, they need to storm to the end of the dugout. And sometimes that's what I needed, but the bounce back, you know, but then you're at, at the fence for your teammates and throwing yourself into the team and not yourself. I think that's what's so important. In this next part, you are going to listen to and learn from one of the most inspiring stories I've ever even heard. Delaney Spaulding is Team USA shortstop. And crazy enough, last year, when we thought we were going to have the Olympics, Delaney actually tore her ACL and she didn't know if she was going to be able to play in the Olympics. And crazy enough, COVID happened and she was able to get a surgery and she is back. She is literally in Tokyo right now with Team USA. You will see her at shortstop playing for Team USA and her comeback story is my favorite. So whether your athlete has been injured before or she knows somebody that's been injured, here's what you'll learn from Delaney in this part. Obviously her story of how she came back from an ACL tear to compete and what motivated her along that journey and during that process in order for her to get over doubting herself, get over saying I can't and literally what motivated her to keep going and how she's been overcoming that doubt and that fear. So this is going to be a very inspirational story. I had goosebumps. I had tears during this episode. It is so powerful. So let's head to this part with Delaney Spaulding. Our very first tour game, we had just been practicing for two weeks, three weeks maybe. And it was our very first game. We were kicking off the Stand Decider tour. And it was about the sixth inning. It was my probably going to be my last at bat. But it's kind of, it's, it's the story that you hear other athletes that where it happens to other athletes and you think, Oh, that's so terrible. Like my heart, like my heart aches for her, him and Oh, that'll never happen to me. And boom, it happened to me. You know, like I have prepared my entire, pretty much my entire career to go and play at the highest level of the Olympics since 2016. I've been prepping for this year. And then boom, our very first game, ACL meniscus torn. Mm. And it was awful. It, it wasn't, I, I wasn't in too much pain. I didn't really know what happened. It felt, I've never been injured. Let's, let's put that out there as well. I've never been injured. Yeah. Um, I've been very fortunate um, to not have a, um, an injury that kept me out. And then, so I knew something felt different. I didn't hear a pop. I didn't necessarily go through everything that, you know, people say when you tear your ACL, didn't have that walked off the field. I was good. Well, they did the ACL test in the dugout and the orthopedic surgeon kind of gave a weird look to my trainer. And I'm like, just tell me, just tell me, I want to know I'm right here. Like, I just got to know. And he goes, well, it looks like ACL may be impacted or affected. I was like, okay, well, didn't want to hear that. (laughs) So I um, got an MRI the next day and sure enough, ACL medial meniscal, meniscus, sorry, which is on the inside part of my knee were torn and it was going to be eight to 10 months minimum. 
And I didn't have that, or sorry, eight to nine months. I definitely did not have that. This was February, the Olympics were in July. This is before everything hit as far as the coronavirus. And so I was like, there's no way I can get surgery. There's absolutely no way. Well, the Olympic Committee sent me to the University of Utah, who has a great orthopedic surgeon out there. So I got another MRI. Turns out, same same um, diagnosis, ACL meniscus. And he was like, you know, same thing, eight to ten, eight to ten months, we can get surgery. And he's like, Olympics are out of the question if you get surgery. And I'm like, all right. It, and I'm already in my mind thinking, but I'm like, all right, let me talk to my family. Let me let me let me figure this out. Immediately, I got into the car and I was just like, I cannot get surgery. I cannot. If I, I've been preparing for this for way too long, I'm just going to brace it up. I'm going to go to physical therapy to get my thigh, my, my, uh, my quad, my hamstring, uh, my calf, get it strong. And I'm just going to roll with the punches. I'm going to, I'm going to take the pain, which I wasn't in too much pain, thankfully, or really any pain at all. And I was going to do it. I was so going to do it, Ashley. <laughs> I had been hearing so many people have been like reached out to me that, and it was very hush hush. I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want it to be the new, the, the news story. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not the type of player to like put myself out there at all. And so I didn't want anybody to know. But the people, the group, people that did know, as far as like doctors and everything, they would tell me so many stories of like, yeah, we have soccer players who played without ACLs. We have football players that play without ACLs, MLB players. And I'm like, okay, keep it coming. Keep it coming. Yeah. Like, you know, so I had so much reassurance that I could absolutely do this without an ACL. Um, and I was going to absolutely do it without an ACL. And then uh, as we all know, the coronavirus came in, in, what was it? Like end of, end of February, I believe mm-hmm. we were at the university of Washington and we flew home. We flew into Seattle that morning, flew home that night because of everything that was going on. I called right away to the University of Utah. I said, I need surgery right right away. Well, and they're like, what? All elective surgeries are shut down right now. So you'll be at the top of our list and then we'll call you. And I was like, well, well actually I'll call you like every day. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so yeah, once I heard in California, at least that the elective surgeries were starting to perform again. I called the University of Utah right away and I said, all right, let's do this. And so they did. My surgery date was May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. I actually drove to Utah because I didn't want to fly because Mm. I knew I had to get a COVID test. Right. So I drove to Utah, got a COVID test on May 1st, and then I had to quarantine for those four days. Um, And then May 5th, I had surgery. And then here we are five (laughs) weeks and five months and about two weeks later. Oh my um, gosh. So yeah, much. Yeah, it's been a crazy journey. <laughs> yeah, so much to impact too. And I think I'm really glad you said you've never gotten injured because yeah. if anything, this could be the ultimate test because yeah. you know, people that get injured, I mean, we always hear like your biggest it's not a failure. Like getting injury is not a failure, but like your biggest yeah. like punches to the gut, they really teach you the most. Oh, um, yeah. and so this, this sounded like it was the ultimate teacher. So, you know, 100%. <laughs> so, I mean, first off, what's something that's keeping you? I mean, I, I guess I think I can answer this question, but what is that one motivator for you right now? That's like, getting you to the gym, getting you to physical therapy, getting you to work on your mental game right now. Yeah. So I'll start by saying one of the one of the biggest tips that I've gotten from 
almost everybody after I announced that I was getting surgery was that, you know, stay in the, it's a grind, stay in the grind, like keep being positive because ACL recovery is, is rough. But like, I'm not going to lie that it's rough. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, thank you so much. But you know, I'm a pretty mentally strong person. Like I, I don't feel sorry for myself. Like I, I am just, I'm in it to win it basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, no, I'll be good. I'll be good. Well, oh my gosh. I have never in my life said, no, I can't do that. Or no, I'm not, I don't want to do that. Or are you sure I can do that? Like more in my life. Like that was the first thing that came out of my, my, my mouth. Like Delaney, go on the bike. I don't know. I can't do the bike. No, yes, you can. And I'm like, uh, okay. And like, bef- I couldn't even get like a full, like, what is that revolution on yeah. a bike because I was so nervous and so scared. And my physical therapist would like, he made me one day finally just sit on the bike and do it because he knew I could, because he's no, he knows my range of motion. And so he mm-hmm. knows that I could do it. And I'm like, no, I can't. And he goes, Delaney, sit on the bike and do it. <laughs> I was like, all right, whatever you say, Jeff, like I can't do it. And of course, I proved him right and I did it, but there's just so many obstacles that you have to go over. And so having this injury and being it such a big injury that it is, I've learned so much about myself and so much about my body that I'm very thankful for that. But my biggest motivation definitely is to get a hundred percent is to get better and knowing how my knee feels and how my left knee feels or my good leg feels and everything. Like I just want it to feel good again. I think that's my motivation as well on top of my teammates and my team and the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I know that they are working just as hard. I mean, half of my team is at AU athletes unlimited. Another three or four girls are playing in Japan. Like, and then the other like two or three girls, they're training. So what what am I going to be feeling sorry for myself because I had I had surgery I, I tore my ACL and I'm just going to pout in my bed? Absolutely not. Like I'm going to bust my butt and I'm going to get into physical therapy and I'm going to dominate all of these drills so that my physical therapist doesn't have any more drills to give me because I've yes. just dominated all of them. You know what I mean? Like, and that's something that uh, you know. I as soon as I tore my ACL, yes, those three to four days the worst days of life. Like I cannot even comprehend the emotions that I was feeling from tearing it to getting the MRI results to having to tell my teammates, Oh my gosh, Ashley, that was the worst morning of my life. And like not even getting the MRI results can even compare to having to tell the team. Oh my gosh. I couldn't even look at that. Like my head was down while I was talking because there was, everybody was crying and it was, ugh, it was devastating. And then going through that and then having decided not to do surgery and then now, you know, getting surgery and then going through the process. I mean, it's been a whirlwind of emotions, but definitely my, my biggest motivation is my teammates. Um, just because I know that like they're doing their thing, you know, they're doing it They're This is our off season right now, technically, because, you know, the Olympics are postponed and I know that they are working 10 times, a hundred times harder than, you know, me right now as far as softball. And so I got to, I got to dial it in. I got to get better. 
And so that's just, that's, that's really, you know, what gets me out of bed and what gets me to the gym and to physical therapy right now. Now you have the opportunity to learn from one of the goats of pitching, one of the goats of softball, Monica Abbott. In this section, you're going to listen to the story of my first at bat against her. Yes, it's embarrassing, but I know you're going to love it. The power of getting ahead as a pitcher and how to do that. And actually, she shares with us a little bit of her mentality now. So she talks about the progression of, you know, what pitchers should be focusing on at a younger age to maybe that high school age then college and then pro. It's super interesting to learn how she has evolved as a pitcher. She also talks about how to be aggressive on both sides of the plate in this section and how to play to your strengths. She is the master of playing to her strengths, and you'll learn through my first at bat how she did that. And this is such a a very, you're going to learn a lot in this part. So if you don't already have a notebook out taking notes of how the best do what they do, This is going to be your warning to pause and go find one because you're going to learn a ton from this spot. You know, whether um, you're a pitcher or not, there's so much that you can learn about playing to your strengths. So here is Monica Abbott. I remember the first time I hit off of you and you probably have like no idea, but you could see it on my face. I was just terrified. I was like, holy crap. I watched you play at Tennessee. And now we're in the pro league and I'm like up against, how does this work? And even the dugout's like, oh, Monica's on the mound. And I'm sitting here like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I don't understand. So I was just like shaking in my boots before I walk into that box. Like probably most people that see you for the first time. And you probably read right through me. I think you threw three fastballs right down the middle. Didn't even touch one. Um, and I sat like the very first time and I was like, Okay, well, I'm supposed to hit two more times today and like that's not going to happen again. Like it was just like I needed that slap in the face because you do like you pitch, I swear your foot goes outside the circle. <laughs> I swear. Like from actually, my perspective, I'm like she is throwing her foot is landing outside the circle. And I'm a lefty that normally stands in the middle of the box. Okay, we're going to have to make some adjustments. So it was like my second at bat that day. No one's hitting off of you that day. I think maybe Kaylin Castillo maybe had like a single but I go back up there and I'm like, okay, well, worst case scenario happened. I struck out in three. My goal is to just touch you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm literally like a professional athlete so like sitting here like, I'm just going to try to touch her and like see what happens. So my mission like in the box, I was like, all right, just touch her, just touch her. And I saw a ball go by. I was like, oh my God, this is great. I can actually see it. <laughs> um, this is literally what's going on in my head. And I really want people to know this because... I mean, I'm a professional athlete still trying to keep it simple here. And I remember I like popped up to the third baseman and of course I'm out, but I was like, I did what I said I was going to do. Like I touched her, you know, and this is literally me. And then I had like one more shot that game and I'm like, okay, well, obviously I struck out in three. I'm finally touching her. What's better than a pop-up? Okay. Let's go for like a hard ground ball. And you made that, you made that at bat so hard. I think I remember I watched another ball. But then you threw me this curveball in my hands. And your curveball, it's like coming to hit me. And then it's going to be a strike. So I literally, I was just like, okay, just attack it. Let's hit a hard ground ball. And I hit like the hardest ground ball I've ever hit in my life to the second baseman. And of course, like she gets me out. But internally, I'm like, I did. I did it. I did it. I did it. I did it. (laughs) Hey. I like found a way. You know, I love that. I mean, it's so important. But I just think like, it's cool, you know, like those those internal battles like between pitchers and hitters are just, they're so fun. Like they are so fun. I live for them. And 
you know, it, it's fun and it's fun to see like adjustments that people make and then trying to like figure out the puzzle of how to get them out. Yeah. It's like a chess match. Yeah, totally. It's a chess match. It's like a mask, uh, amazing picture. And then just like, yeah, I don't know. It's just fun to see like people grow and then also like, you know, I don't know. It's just like softball. Softball is so fun. (laughs) fun. That's why it's our living. That's why it's our life. So I guess a question that I have from that is, so obviously you're a pitcher that can probably read through a hitter. Like if a hitter Mm -hmm. looks scared, you're in the driver's seat. What do you notice that hitters do that kind of make you internally go, all right, well, fastballs down the middle are going to do the job. Like, what do you see? Uh, (laughs) Kind of gives that away. What did you see in me that day? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, what I saw in you was your knees were shaky and like... Uh your eyes look really big. Yep. No. Um, I would say like, I'm at the point now where like, if I know someone has never seen me, like never faced me, like, I'm just like, fireballs. Let's go. (laughs) Show them what you got. Yeah. Because, you know, at this point, you know, a hitter's probably coming into the box, like, and their team is telling them, like, hey, she throws rise balls, she throws hard, like, make sure you're ready, da, 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 da. So all of these things. So I'm just like, okay, let me, they're probably going to want to watch one because they want to, like, you know, get the feel. Get on or, like, time. Yeah. Get the feel of, like, what my pitch feels like and all of that. And then maybe try to see if they're, ti- how, check their timing and stuff like that. So usually I try to, like, Especially if it's their first at bat, you know, I do really try to attack them pretty hard. I think that's good. I think that's like, and when you think about it, when you're probably hitting or pitching against people who have seen you multiple times, are you Mm -hmm. trying to play to your strengths or are you trying to make them miss? Does that make sense? I think, I think no matter if you're a pitcher or a hitter, you should always play to your strengths, right? Always. I mean, you're giving me the answers I want. want As a hitter, do you want to like, just like, I mean, you want to play to your strength as a, as a hitter, right? Your yes. Strength, whatever you need the low and in. If it's yeah. Like, I yeah, that. exactly. If, and that just depends on like, what is your, in, and it can vary, you know, like your strength on Saturday can change from what your strength on Sunday is. Like, mm-hmm. if that's, that's a real thing. Like your strength changes can change day to day, right? Like depending on how you feel, your, what your body's doing, your recovery, your preparation you know, all of that. But I, I think as an athlete, you always have to play to whatever your strength is and then you manage other things. And does your strength change day to day sometimes? Maybe at bat to at bat, pitch like hitter to hitter. Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I know these are probably naive questions, but I know so many here have daughters who have just started pitching and, mm-hmm. you know, they want to give them the right tools to at least think about and execute in games. How important is a first pitch strike? You know, um, I'm a, I'm, I think it's important. I think it's, I'm a fan of it. I'm at a different level, but I would, let me talk about like it from like a youth level rather than the yes. level that I play at. And yeah. I think from the, like the youth level, I think a first pitch strike is really important. Just, and honestly, like try to just pound the zone, especially mm-hmm. if you're an 8U, 10U, 12U, I would say just, Try to throw as many strikes as you can, you know, you're not yeah. going to get, you're not, every pitch is going to be a strike, but just go ahead and like, just try to attack the hitter and just, just do the best you can, you know, in yeah. the zone. 
And then as as you get into like 14 and under and 16 and under, hopefully you're starting to develop some other pitches. And then I would say, try to like use those pitches to their strength that day. You know, maybe Mm. your screw ball is attacking the outside corner to go inside, attacking the inside corner to go outside, have a start to create a little bit more plan of a plan. And then, Mm. you know, 16s to 18s, hopefully you have like more of a go-to pitch that's vertical, you know, up and down versus lateral. So a rise or a drop at that point, you're starting to develop that. Then, you know, really work on using that to get your big outs, to get ahead of hitters. And then, uh, you know, you can complement with the other pitches that you've been throwing, like your whether it's a fastball or a screwball or a curveball that or a changeup, that's more of a lateral pitch. So you said this is all for youth. I really want to know just personally, maybe a first pitch strike isn't what you're looking for right now. What is kind of your approach in that regard with more advanced hitters? Uh, like at my level? Yeah. Ooh, Are you willing you're, to share? You're trying to get in there, trying to get some... I mean, who knows? They might have it bad off you. No, I will <laughs> Yeah, it really kind of just depends on the hitter and the strategy that we're taking for a hitter. I do like a first pitch strike. You know, what they say is that every time a hitter watches a pit, a strike, their batting average goes down 300 points. Mm. So, um, and a lot of hitters like to watch the first one and that's fine. Um, some swing at it too. So it's really at my level, it really is a little bit of more of a, of a guessing game. Because I want to get ahead. I want like count, what is called count control. I want count control so then I can get count leverage. Um, count leverage is when you're, you know, you're ahead in the count. You're one, two, oh, two, maybe even two, two, I would say, and zero, zero. Like you want count leverage so then you, I can get you to swing at something. Then I can get you to swing at something that you don't want to, right? Like, or I can get you to foul something off to create that count leverage. Next up is another pitcher, but she will not be competing for Team USA. She played at the University of Washington, won a national championship in 2009, and she will be competing with Team Canada at the Olympics in Tokyo. So in this section, you're going to learn how she's being the ultimate role model for her two daughters. Actually, one of her daughters is playing baseball, and she talks in this section about why she's playing in baseball instead of softball right now. And you know what she also talks about? How her daughters are so excited to practice and why she believes that is. So if you either struggle with going to practice or your daughter doesn't love practice, here's a great motivation to learn how to love it. And she also ends with how not to fear failure. She talks about an experience where she did fear failure or fear it at one point and how she does not do that anymore. She does not play with failure because she knows that's not how you will succeed. So this is a non Team USA player, but a Canadian that is literally paving the way for her athletes. And this is an incredible section on how to be the ultimate role model for your daughters. The emotional struggles as an Olympic athlete, training and being in that place that we left training camp in March of 2020 being like, we're going to the Olympics. It was the best I'd ever felt. It was the best our team was. All of a sudden, we got home for break and the world just went to sh- And I remember being like, when they postponed the Olympics, like look at my husband dead in the eye with like tears streaming down my face. I was like, I'm not doing this again. Like, I'm done. I'm done. And um, I gave myself a week of that like mentality of like, I don't need to make a decision. I don't need to talk to anyone about it. I can feel how I want to feel. 
And then I started to like come around in the sense where it's like, I'm not doing this for me, right? Like the main reasons why I wanted to go back is because I have these two little kids and this is the most bad thing that I can possibly do to show them that I can do anything I set my mind to doing. But a close second is the people that I'm grinding with, man. Like we're talking about Kaylee Rafter, Jen Salling, Victoria Hayward, like uh, Lauren Bay. Like I went to the Olympics with three of these women 13 years ago. And if I bail on them, to me, it's just showing that it's, that I don't care enough about them. And um, I do because they're my, they're my homies till the end. And I would run through a wall for them. So for me, at the end of the day, it came down to, yes, it's going to suck trying to do this again with the same mentality and work ethic that I just had. But I also gave me a different respect for the game because it's like my, my days are numbered now. Like I ain't going past this 2021. Like we're done after this. And that's where it kind of leads us to today. Like being here in Cape Coral, Florida, training, getting ready in this pandemic still with the unknown if the Olympics is 100% going to go. But we as a team know that we're just going to go until they tell us stop. Yeah. Wow. There's so much I want to unpack from your story. There's so much here. That's just like, oh my God. Okay. So first of all, we have to go back to like the first sentence you said. You played baseball first and you said your daughter yeah. is now playing baseball. I need She's to know baseball. why because I also played baseball and my testament yeah. to baseball is the fact that like these boys didn't want me to even set foot on that field and that yeah. like built a heart. So I have a feeling it's like a similar story, but I want to hear oh, yeah. it. Yeah, I liked the baseball just because like I was better than all the girls. Yeah. And that's kind of where Maddie's at. Like Maddie has been coming to my bullpens and training with me mm -hmm. since I went back to play when she was three years old. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, her dad he played and, and was in the minor leagues for years. Like Andrew is a guru at this sport, right? Like he has developed her into this hitting phenom that I will take no responsibility in because that was all him. So we've just been, every time we go to the, to the cages to throw bullpens, like we're letting her hit. She's pitching, she's doing things. So she's perfected her craft a little bit to the point where it's like, we can't put her in with the girls yet. Cause I don't think that she's at the, the level where she can play down. Like, and, and she's still at this level with coach pitch where she's better than all of them, but she's seven and she's never played the game yet. So for me, it's mm -hmm. like, give her this one year to do coach pitch, evaluate maybe one more year of baseball, because I just think like looking at her being around all the boys <laughs> brings the biggest smile to my face. Mm -hmm. Like just her and her uni and her cute little bum and her athletic body. And I'm just like, bam, like I made that. And she's just, <laughs> she's so sweet. She just is so, her love of the game has grown because she's seen me do it. And that's, I think, mm -hmm. one of the most special things that I've gotten being back in the game. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I really think yeah. that my sister... My, so I have a sister right now is playing in college. And I think it's like, it feels kind of the same way. I'm eight years, well, I'm five years older than her. And like, while I was trying to figure out myself in this game, she was always there too. And like, I'd yeah. hit and she'd be like, can I hit? And it was like, this yeah. like authentic, I want to yeah. play. And it, it sounds like she's asking to practice. And I think she is. for a lot of parents right now, they're like, how do I get my kid to like be motivated to practice? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, expose her to it. Like just... Yeah show her what it's about and like, and she'll figure out if she wants to do it or not. But yeah. it sounds like it's all her freedom to want to play. 
It is. It's it, that's the sweetest part. It is. She's just so like just pure with it. Like wants to do it because she loves it. Doesn't understand the next piece to the puzzle as far as like how that all plays out. It's she loves it because she loves it. Oh, that's amazing. And she got to yeah. watch you play uh, in Florida, right? Just recently. Yeah. That was the last time. Yeah, she'll get to have ever watched me. She's seen me play a good amount over the years, but to say she has any idea about like what's going on in the moment, she doesn't, but she, the best part about being back in the game for me has been like back in the day in college and, and everything, the wins and losses would affect me in such a positive and negative light. You know, you play good, you're on such a high, you play bad and you pitch and you lose, you feel such a lull and a low and it's all like for me. And what I've learned now that I have kids and then I'm, I'm at this age still playing, it's like, I'm good. Like I'm no longer defined by giving up a home run or losing a game yeah. because I have this support and stability in my life that makes me appreciate the moment so much more. Right. And when you don't have that mentality back in the day, it's, you can be down for the count for 48 hours. Like, Oh my God, I don't want to play anymore. I'm embarrassed. But I have these little kids that look up to me where the whole poor me. And it's funny because we had this conversation. We just played Italy for four games and I did fine, but I struggled a little. Like I gave up one home run, one outing and one home run, the next outing. And when I was talking to my daughter about it, she was watching the game and I called her after the game later on. And I was just like, she's like, how are you? And I was like, you know, mommy's just a little frustrated, still trying to work, work through some things. And I had given up a home run and she's like, but you guys still won. Like, why are you so sad about it? And I was like, I can't explain to a seven-year-old, but I was just like, you know that mommy works really hard. And like, I'm just trying to, just mommy's trying to work on things, get better. But then it just completely made me realize, like snap out of it. Like, I, I can't be as mad and as frustrated as I was in that moment because I have such a greater responsibility of being a better teammate, being someone that can help lead the pitching staff, being a mom to these little kids and a home run is no, is not going to define what I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just the perfectionist mentality that most females have. Like yeah. I deal with that all the time. And I, and it's funny because the kid, you know, in us would all, would probably say the same thing, but we've kind of like hidden that. But Madison's like, uh, no mom, you guys won, get over it. <laughs> And you're yes. like, wow, it's like my conscience trying to speak to me. I love it. So you mentioned how you are a different pitcher now than you were at UW, obviously. Like that's like, yeah. it's very, it makes total sense. But do you feel like having your, your kids has allowed you to become a better and smarter pitcher now? Yes, I do. I just have a greater understanding of the game. I have a greater understanding of the moment. Accountability at its finest. But the, the pressure piece of like being able to understand the moment for what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that knowing that your time is dwindling in the game makes you realize that. And sometimes as female athletes, we don't know when our time's done, right? We don't have an exact countdown. Like sometimes when you graduate college, it's like, oh, I, I might still play or I might still do this. But like, I know my time clock is ticking to when I never will play this game again. So it's made me just have a different respect for the preparation, the grind, the good, the bad, and the moments when you feel your heart racing and you're like, there's pressure here and I feel it. How can I control this? And it's like, there's been a couple of moments over the course of the last couple of years 
the Olympic qualifier when I went into a game in the Mexico game with bases loaded one out. And, you know, we have seven, 8,000 fans in the stands. And I like feel my heart beating through my chest, running to the mound. And I was like, that's why we play the game, right? Like that, if you could bottle up those emotions and feel that in moments where you need that, that's why you love it. But you also need to understand how to play through that and not make it like so much bigger than it is. And so for me in that moment, that was probably my one light bulb moment where I stepped off the mound and I literally did a 360 of where I was at. And I just found my kids in the left field and like thought about every single thing that I had done to get to this moment in time where it's like not fearing the moment is huge. People mm -hmm. fear failure, right? Like people go into games and they don't want to be the one to strike out. They don't want to be the one to make the error. They don't want to be the pitcher to go in and give up the bomb to lose the game. But if that's already the mentality of going in and you're fearing that, you're setting yourself up for that to happen. Having that mentality of just letting pressure and letting fear in and, and owning it, but also knowing I've done everything I can to prepare for this moment is what allows for the outcome to be okay, regardless of what that is. This next section with Aubrey Monroe will fire you up. Aubrey will tell you she has no idea how she got to this level. She literally at a young age knew that she loved catching. Like the first time she, she was a catcher, she knew this was for her, but she never knew where she could become, but kept taking steps and her parents helped making steps so that she could become the best version of her. And she literally at one point in time was the fourth string catcher on a pretty elite team. And it's so inspiring to learn how she kept growing, kept chipping away at her game and finding the best version of her. And it's a beautiful story about how, you know, one tryout and showing up at that tryout was probably the reason why she was able to get to where she is, how she showed up to make sure she made that team, even to become the fourth string catcher and work her way up to Team USA. She also shares a story about how her mom kind of knew when she needed to move teams based on the fact that Aubrey wanted to see how good she could be. And her mom set her up for that with the team that she tried out for. It's a goofy story. We laugh a lot in this one, but you're about to learn from Team USA's catcher, Aubrey Monroe, how she became this and a little bit of her journey to become an Olympian, which again, she's blowing her mind with her dreams right now. And it's the most beautiful and humbling story that you may have heard yet. Going into the summer before my sophomore year, my mom and I were just kind of talking and we're like, okay, I think it's time to be challenged. I think it's time to try and level up a little bit where we're at travel wall wise. So we started going to all these tryouts. I went to one tryout and I threw up. I was out of shape and it was hot and it was like the longest tryout. It was like a six hour tryout. I was blown away. Threw up Crazy. and I remember crying with my mom. Like, mom, no, what he's going to take me. This is horrible. I'm going to have to go back to my old team after I told them I was going to leave. Like, it was just a mess. I've, and so, but that pushed me to work every single day for, until my next tryout two weeks later. I was like, I'm never letting that happen again. I do not want to do that. And so I went to two more tryouts and they were just like, we don't need a catcher. We already have some catchers. We don't need a catcher. Um, mm -hmm. And finally, my last tryout, and I'm going to say tryout because I'll explain that in a second, was with the SoCal Athletics under Bruce Richardson. And I went into that 
try out thinking, all right, Aubrey, this is your last one. You got nothing to lose. You've got a fallback plan with this other team, but you know, it's not really the direction we're trying to go. So I was like, okay, you got nothing to lose. Go for it. And I remember playing with those girls and being like, this is cool. The coaches were so intense. My mom was thinking, well, these guys are going to be too intense for her. She's not going to like it. And I was like fired up. This is so awesome. And so afterwards, my mom and I are like, okay, we'll wait to see if they like call us or something. And the coach comes up to me and goes, we're having a meeting um, and we'd like for you to stick around. And we're like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, no problem. And then he goes, but I have to ask you, what are you doing here? And we're like, we're here for the tryout. And he goes, we don't have tryouts. It's like an invite-only team. And I crashed a practice. No. I kid you not. I would, and so my mom and I are mortified. Like, we did not, I, like, the last three hours, nobody said anything. I'm just like, because the reality is their other coach was a friend of a friend who also came with me, but, like, they knew him pretty well. And he had said, oh, yeah, just come out, come kind of, like, offhand. Yeah, just come out to this practice. That we thought it was a tryout. Turns out it wasn't. And so they kept me kind of like a stray dog. And oh my God. I was the... I was going to be the fourth catcher on that team, which seems kind of crazy. Like nobody needs four catcher, but I was just it's like, no, this is where I want to be. Like, this is, this is the place. Like I can feel it. They're intense. They're going to make me better. They're going to challenge me. And so then I stayed for that meeting and I, little did I know they were calling me walk on for a while. <laughs> Cause I, <laughs> I didn't realize that, but into, like people who became like my best friends ever. And so just a long time of like, I didn't, really realized what had happened. And so I ended up staying with the SoCal Athletics through the end of high school. We won PGF championships all three years. Um, and that was, and I ended up catching all three of those championship games. And that's where I really, really learned how to win and what it meant to be a winner, what it meant to go about my business in a very like professional way. And that prepared me because I definitely would have ended up at, Flo- I would not have ended up at Florida had I not been on that team. And then I got to Florida and that's a longer story, but um, I just felt like I, I really knew how to compete and I knew how to handle adversity. I knew how to handle tough coaches like Coach Walton. I love him. He's a tough coach though. Um, mm-hmm. And I struggled a lot my freshman year, but I came back for my sophomore year like just hungrier. I worked every day that summer to be a better hitter because that's what had really held me back my freshman year. Um, and then we went on to win national championships my sophomore and my junior year. And then my senior year, I made the roster for Team USA. Again, like, no, I made the team because, not, it's not because, but I got an invite because of like six other catchers said no. Wow. So I got my invite in December. Tryouts are like the first week of January. And invites usually go out in like early November. My journey has been this a lot, mm-hmm. um, but in a, in a really cool way, in my opinion, I've learned to really appreciate it because I think, Every one of those valleys really prepared me to get to that mountaintop and to appreciate it. And it's like just fostered character and drive and all the things that I'm really proud of and all the things that I'm like, that I really like about myself now as an adult. So um, it's been a crazy journey, but it's one that is not one that hasn't been without um, some really cool moments. And just kind of when I look back and I see how it all came together, I'm just like, how am I here? Like, how am I on the Olympic roster? It just blows my mind. So that was the long slash short version, I guess. I don't know. It was the perfect version, <laughs> if you ask me. Uh, just because I have so many questions now based on the story itself, because 
it looks like you were just enjoying the ride, you know, like, and trusting the process. I know people say like, trust the process, trust the process, but your story is literally the epitome of trusting the process. Like when you work really hard at something, things happen. When you accidentally go to a a tryout, AKA practice, things happen. Like if you just show up, do your thing, go all out, like people notice. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people, they get nervous for like real life tryouts. Like we just got done with tryout season and I I put out a TikTok about tryouts. I kid you not. And so many people were like, I'm so nervous. What do I do? You know? And I'm like, if, if you have trouble, like not focusing, I need you to just like maybe pick one other person to compete against or really just do your thing Mm -hmm. and don't care at all about what anybody else thinks, which is a lot easier to say than do, but it helps you out. So like in, I want to know, like in that tryout that you thought was a tryout, what was your mentality? Like, do you remember like what was getting you through that? Even though it was like super tough. It was a combination of, I have nothing to lose. Like just, this is your last shot. I'm ready to go for it. And so, and then a combination of, like weirdly feeling very settled in that environment. Like the way that they practiced, the way that they played, I was like, this is what I've been missing. You know, it was challenging. It was, I don't know. It was this, it, it was just a combination of freeing myself up, holding very loosely. Like, okay, if I'm, we get in trouble when we get expectations and we hold really, really tight to stuff because we play tight mm-hmm. and everybody knows whether or not we can like, act on it but like everybody knows if you play tight you're not going to be as good but if you can play free and you can play loose you'll be better if y'all know my relationship with jade hewitt you would know that she had to be in this episode she is a literal goat when it comes to photography and she was actually my photographer for the dallas charge and this story of how she literally just interned at the professional level for my team and has made her way up to Team USA. It is the coolest story because Jade is still fangirling over some of these moments that she's had. In this section, you'll learn the first fangirl moment that she had with Kat Osterman, her interview with Jessica Mendoza, and she shares with us in this section her top three shooting experiences, and they will blow your mind. Like It is amazing how far our game has come, especially in the media side, and Jade is literally leading the charge in this area. I am so excited for my friend Jade. She is out in Tokyo taking photos for Team USA in Japan, and it is the coolest thing, and I really want you to be able to learn from her. Even though she's not on the field competing, she is a crucial part of softball and Team USA existence in the world. So I am so excited for you guys to meet Jade in this part. Let's talk Team USA. You probably have starstruck moments all the time. You're working with celebrities in softball. It's actually that first summer, probably one of my biggest starstruck moments was the first series we played was against the Rebellion at home. And then the second series we played was against the Pride at home. And the Pride games were on CBS that year. So it was like, you know, there were more people around and stuff. And I photographed the game and we would put all the pictures on Facebook and I woke up the next morning and I was, uh, my past teammates, family, let them, let me live with them for free all summer. Shout out like crazy. Awesome. And I woke up and I had a tag on Facebook and all kinds of text messages. So I opened up my Facebook and Kat had posted the pictures I took of her and tagged me and been like, 
special thanks to Jade Hewitt for taking these awesome pictures. And I was just laying in bed like, oh, uh, what? Like, could, so I called a woman that worked for the Pride and I was like, Kat, Kat has, she's got someone who runs her social, right? Like she doesn't run her social. And she goes, no, Kat like takes ownership of all of her social media. That was her. And dude, I was like, I'm done. Shut it down. This is the end of my career. Kat Osterman just posted about me on Facebook. I I called, I texted every single person I knew. It was like the the coolest, one of the biggest moments ever where I was like, oh my God, she said my name. Like we laugh about it now all the time because I'm such a little geek. But yeah, that was, I had a bunch of those starstruck moments that summer. Uh, I interviewed Jessica Mendoza when we were in Colorado, which was horrifying and awesome at the same time. That one was awful. It was, there was, there was a lot and I still have them all the time with the same people. Like it never, it never gets old ever that you're photographing or doing something with these people ever. It's just so awesome. Is Jessica Mendoza as real as she seems? Like, is she just one of the best humans ever? She's like, she's just so warm and like inviting and just like kind. And I remember listening to her speak at NFCA and I literally just wanted to get up and start like fist pumping because I'm like, yes, like she, I have looked up to her for so long for like what she does for women's sports. And she's just an unbelievably kind, brilliant, just smart, intelligent, obscene. You ever watch footage of her like hitting an outside pitch? Because it should it should be put in the Louvre. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So yeah, she's she's pretty up there on my I'm obsessed list. That's I love that. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you've worked with AU. You work with Team USA. What I want to know what your top three moments are that you've had. Like maybe maybe in total, Jessica yeah. knows I'm assuming might be one of those. But like <laughs> top three moments of like this career that you've dreamt of that you're living the dream right now. What are, what have been like your top three moments so far? Definitely in 2018 with USA when uh, we were over in Chiba, Japan and won gold at the WBSC World Championships, um, which secured our spot in the, we had actually secured the spot right before the game in the Olympics. Um, but that game was like, you know, us in Japan. So at that point, both are qualified. It's, it's for pride. Um, so uh that that game was the most unbelievable game ever. But to be perfectly honest with you, it was like 10 innings. And I don't remember a lot of it. Like when, when you're looking through a lens for 75% of the game, you actually miss quite a lot. And there have been championship games and like big games I've been a part of where you watch footage after and you're like, I didn't, I have no recollection of that happening. So, so definitely I got a gold medal. I still have it. Um, wow. That, that whole experience was just like, I worked with USA before, but then getting to be with the national team, it was just like this unbelievable thing where I'm with these people, I'm wearing red, white, and blue. Like I get to, I get to ride the bus with, I get to be a part of this family. So that was really special. Yeah. My medal's definitely still in my room. Um, so I would say that probably... Uh, in 2017 with the dogs and we won the NPF championship, that one was really special. Again, it's a game where we had, we played a double header that day because we lost game one. So we had to win game two and three and it was so hot 
I, I thought, I, I just thought I was about to pass out or just like melt away. It was, it was so hot there in Baton Rouge. Um, so I got to, we won that here in Baton Rouge, um, which was special because it's where I'm from and getting to witness Monica throw 14 innings on that Sunday. Like that was just godlike. No one's ever going to do. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So yeah, that one meant a whole lot. Um, and then probably this top stick, which I probably talk about it too much, but like, I can't help it. It's, it's, I, I don't have them with me. They're, oh man. But the, the <laughs> tops deck was like, we, we talked about it with AU before the season, like just potential stuff, la la. And it never registered until we were like way down the line. And I was like, wait, these are going to be my pictures. What? And then it was like, when I held him in my hand, I just couldn't believe it. Like selfishly, because yes, like I did get to take those photographs, but on the much bigger and more important side of it, like to see, it's kind of two levels. Number one, to see these athletes who I know deserve everything and deserve the world and don't always get that because we're professional softball and we're just not quite the machine that, the NFL is or whatever. So to see these girls who I am so tightly knit with to see them on a tops card, like immortalized for forever, just blew my mind. But then the other part of that was at that, at the, at the point those cards came out as I had worked in like pro softball for like five years and literally like, I'm not trying to be cheesy, but thinking about all of the women who came before that deck, who somehow made that deck happen. People like yourself who put in the year, the two year, whatever, all those years of sticking with pro softball and not giving up on it and keeping it running to where now, you know, Sam Shaw has a tops card. And that meant a lot to me because not everybody knows the thousands of people who came before, but I do. And I so appreciate people like you, people like you, who put in the work, didn't get the recognition that I think you guys deserve. And then now, you know, seeing these girls that, that get to get it. So it was kind of a twofold thing that made me like, it really kind of made me emotional seeing it. And uh, then like seeing on Twitter, all these like young girls holding up their decks, like, you know, and I, it's just, you know, when I was a kid, I had the Sosa, Mark McGuire. Uh, Me too. I had, yeah, I had all those cards. And now looking at girls who they're, they get to literally trade away Aubrey Monroe card. Not they trading away Aubrey, but they get to trade cards. <laughs> you know, they get to get a Sam Fisher card. They get to get a cat card. It just, it, it blows my mind. And it makes me so unbelievably proud and excited. So, yeah, I would, I'll, I'll definitely say the tops cards. Absolutely. I feel like a kid holding them. Like, I'm such a little geek. I'm like, this is so cool. It's so cool. Kat Osterman is probably the most confident pitcher I have ever faced in my entire career. And if you listened to last week's episode, you got to know Kat and a little bit of her journey and her story. But this is her second no, this is her third Olympics. She has a gold and a silver medal. This is her third time at the Olympics. And she actually came out of retirement in 2018 to be here and compete on the largest stage of softball. And this week, I'm gonna share with you a part of that interview. And this is teaching you basically how she's able to show up 
at her best against the toughest opponents. She also talks about how to keep your composure under stress, which is so hard to do on any aspect of the game, in any aspect of the game. And she shares some tips on how she was able to take care of that composure during games. She also shares on how she's able to be so confident. Again, she's one of the most confident pitchers I have ever faced. And you'll learn in this section why that is. And the last thing that she'll share is a little lesson that she learned coming out of retirement that she wouldn't have learned unless she came out of retirement to be here. So this is one of the best pitchers to ever have a ball in her hand on the mound in our sport. And there's so much we can learn from Kat. So listen in. A blessing and a curse has been a lot of my, a lot of my elite games have been close games. So I think I had to learn how to hone in and be almost uber focused because you know one run can change your entire team's trajectory in a tournament. And so it wasn't always that way, but I think once I got to like 16, 18 under, I just realized that for me being serious and not so much like the fun loving and laughing at things and whatnot worked better. And then I think over time, the face just got a little bit more and more serious and more intense. You know, I know going into college, Coach Clark always called me Oscar because it was like, my eyebrows told you whether I was like in intense focus mode or like super relaxed mode, or if a bullpen was good or bad. Because if it was good, I came out normal. And if it was bad, I came out with the, the furrowed eyebrows. So it's just a matter of like, I just got so focused on pitching and the spin and seeing it move and hitting the right spots. And like, I knew exactly like on a dime where I wanted to throw things and how I wanted them to break. And I think I got so determined on making sure I focused on that stuff that I just kind of got myself in a, in my own zone, so to speak. And yeah, I think after a while you're successful and you have confidence. So then my confidence comes out in more of an intensity than it does like a fun, fun loving situation. But yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've seen pictures and even when like Jade Hewitt takes pictures, she'll be like, okay, smile. I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not, I don't do that. (laughs) That's not me. Can we do the game face photo? Perfect. Yes. You've mastered it. Now, do you feel like there were times where you felt like maybe you were losing it, but like still knew that you had to keep your game face and keep your composure? Like, did that help you like find that confidence maybe when you weren't feeling it ever? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's times where you don't feel right. You don't feel like you have your best stuff, but you just have to go to work with what you have. And and I think that's for me why I feel like the focus and the seriousness works so well is because it's not like you go from fun loving to like all of a sudden panics because your best pitch isn't working or fun loving to like, what do I do? Cause the ump's not calling the bottom part of the zone, that kind of thing. So I think that face and that kind of just trying to be intense and focused has always been able to kind of mask when I might be panicking on the inside or when I might know, when I might know like, okay, it's not the best day. So maybe we don't have as many strikeouts, but just go get outs any way you can kind of thing. Mm. Oh, that leads me to a daily dose of cat. I just looked up recently oh, about, oh my gosh, I love your daily dose of cat. Okay. Wait, these are wait, on. I really think you're the reason I kept, I think you're the reason I kept doing them. Like I put out a cup. There was, one, <laughs> there was one week where I had just come up with like four or five different things. And I want to say it was on confidence. And so I put them out all week and I really think it was you. It's, it was a long time ago now, but I think it was you that was like loving these daily doses of cat. Hope you keep them up or whatever. I'm like, all right, cool. People read them. I'll keep doing them. Granted, they're not every day anymore, but there's still- oh, they they come when I need them. Let me tell you. That's good. But no, there was one that I I just looked up and I loved it, and it's kind of longer, but I loved it so much. It says the success of a pitcher is not how many strikeouts she gets; 
It's how effective she is. Missing the bat is great, but getting outs is the priority. And you literally just quoted that. And I I love these Daily Dose of Cat because, and this is probably why I love The Last Dance so much, the documentary about Michael Jordan, because all I want to know is how great athletes think, you know? And yes, I'm telling you, you're a great athlete. You already know it and the whole world knows it. But like, in all honesty, you probably have people that you look up to that you'd love to hear, you know? these type of things. Like, how do you think as a pitcher? That's why I was like, tell me about the game face. Cause I can't tell you how many pitchers or even, even hitters that are like, how do I keep my composure? You know, when, you know, there's scrambled eggs, like Sue and Quiz says, like up in there, like, how do you do it? Well, your demeanor and how you present yourself is how you're going to get through it. So I think that's a really, a really good thing that people can learn from. And like, when you're stressed, just keep doing what you're doing Find little wins. Yeah, it's little wins, but it's also going back to like ultimately as a pitcher, what's our job? To throw quality pitches. I don't Mm -hmm. even want to say people will be like, throw strikes. I'm like, it's not even throw strikes. Like, I don't throw strikes and I get people out. So yeah. I was like, quality pitches and get outs. It's like our jobs. And getting out really throw a quality pitch to put a ball in play and your defense gets you out. So the outs not even necessarily yours. But too many people get caught up in like oh, you know, Montana Fouts is striking out 18 at the World Series. Like, great, but I guarantee you Montana Fouts has had a game somewhere in her life where she struck out six or two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she still might have won. And that's okay. And then there's pictures where you go watch them and you probably as a hitter, you're like sitting there like, why can't I hit her? But nobody's really hitting her. She's not striking people out, but nobody's really getting hits. But she's just as effective. And it's Mm -hmm. like too many people get caught up in the, the glitz and glam outcomes And it's like, it's not about that. And I think coming out of retirement, I had to figure that out a little bit more. I think I always knew it, but I could kind of always just, I don't want to say expect a strikeout, but set up a strikeout. And if I got a a weak ground ball or pop up or something else, then so be it. But like, I knew what I was doing. And then I think when I came out of retirement, I expected to strike people out. And I was like, oh, I should probably go back to what we used to do, which is just try to get outs and the strikeouts come. Because that's, I mean, that's the progression. You think about it. Not very many eight-year-olds are learning to pitch for the first time and going and striking out 12 people. Right. It's about getting it close to the batter. Right. (laughs) They're probably walking 12 and getting five runs scored on them, but they threw like six good pitches and that's six more good pitches than they threw yesterday. Um, Uh, uh. So, yeah, it's just like, it's a mindset thing and a, a process. I mean, I hate, I shouldn't say I hate the phrase, the process, but sometimes I do because you can trust the process and buy into the process and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the outcome you want. There's more to it than just the process, but but there is a certain order things go and you're not going to just all of a sudden be an 18 strikeout pitcher. Like it, it, That comes as you develop. We are wrapping up this podcast episode with a legend in our sport, Natasha Watley. Natasha Watley's been there. She's done that. She's competed in two Olympics. And I love her take on what her Olympic experience was like when she played and how she also shares how the game, it changes the higher up you get. And literally she blew my mind with a statement saying about when she feels like she peaked in the game and you are not going to believe her answer. So it's incredible to learn from somebody who's been there, the composure that Natasha Watley has. She is still in the game. She is still coaching and teaching young athletes how to become the best versions of themselves. And it's so neat listening in this section of her 
learning from older athletes when she was a young buck, when she was the young one who was learning how to compete in the Olympics. And her experience is second to none. So we had to wrap up with this. So this is what you're going to see this week in the Olympics is some of this stuff that Natasha Watley is about to share. So I hope you enjoy this section with Natasha Watley. Can you tell me, and people always ask like, what's the game like when you get to that level? And I'm sitting here like, I have no idea. I mean, I'm assuming the game still gets faster because it's the best players in the world. Yeah. Um, but can you just share a little bit about that experience as well and how maybe it, sh- it shaped and formed you? Yeah, well, you're playing with the best of the best. And I think in the college atmosphere, you're in an environment that you are surrounded by people who are not going to let you fail. There's so many resources in the college atmosphere, right? You've got your tutors, you've got people that are going to help you academically, you've got your strength and conditioning trainers that are going to help you get in shape and get to that next level. And then you've got your softball coaches who are going to make sure that they challenge you to make you the best softball player. So you're just surrounded and you're just in this environment. It's mm-hmm. a whole new ball game when you leave college and you go out into the real world and you and you become uh, an Olympian, Olympian because now you're considered a professional. You're considered, you know, the, the top of the top and it's 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 up, it's on you. It's it's you know, obviously yes, we're playing a team sport, but it's very individual based on, you know, how I'm going to pre- pre- prepare myself, you know, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of time that's spent away from the team. And so a lot is um, put on you in terms of training. And so like, that was like a big, huge jump for me, like not having like this support every single day and not having like a plan personally set out for me when I was at home. And like, that was a really hard thing for me to learn. It's like, wait, what? Like, this is all on me. Like, this is the Olympics, yeah. but like you're a professional. And so yes, the game is faster women are stronger smarter like it's just all of the elements and you're playing with the best of the best and i think you know i really like i thought that at the college game like i was at the top top and i didn't realize like there was just like this whole other gap where i had to reach and where i had to go and you know i'm also thankful too for playing with lisa fernandez and laura berg leo brian amico like these women who i grew up looking up to and then now having the opportunity to play with them and seeing how they prepared every single day. Um, I mean, I just was like, I am so far off. I have so much work to do. And mm. um, I'm just thankful that I had these these models to, to be able to like, you know, see what that preparation looked like and that hard work looked like. And so, but it, it's a huge jump and it's a huge, huge gap. And it's people just think, you know, if you're the top collegiate player, you should be able to play at that next level. And that's not the case because it really is a whole nother level. Now we're dealing with the world and we're dealing with the yeah. world's best athletes. And so you've got to really bring your, you know, everything is connected. Like you've got to, you know, go that extra, that extra gap, that extra mile. And it takes an elite athlete to know that there's always a next level. Like okay. even when you think you're at the best, you're like, whoa, I still got a lot to work on. Right. So especially those young athletes that are like, I have so much to do. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I would say pick one thing, mm-hmm. get really good at it, move on to the next. Mm-hmm. Because like you're saying, and actually I'm going to bring up a memory I have of you. So my first year playing in the league, you this was, this was your last year playing in the NPF. And I remember, you probably have no idea or remember this, but we were sitting down at dinner, a bunch of people from the Pride were there. I don't even know why I was there, to be honest. I was, I just was. And I think I asked you, like, when did you peak? Like, when, when do you feel like you peaked in the game? And you were like, oh, like when I was 27. Right. And I'm literally 27 <laughs> right now. Awesome. And I'm like, 
and it's crazy because I'm like, take me back. Like, I want to play right now because right. even though I've, I haven't played or, you know, competitively in four years, right. I feel like every year you get to gain more knowledge and oh. be around other people that know the game. Right. So I love that you were like, I peaked at 27. I'm just like mind blown because there's not really an opportunity I mean, there there are more now. Mm-hmm. Like there are much more opportunities to keep, continue playing until right. twenty seven right. and beyond. Right. I mean, look at Cat. Right. <laughs> look right. at Monica. Right. But it's your it's your wisdom and your maturity and your softball IQ like goes to another level. Like I when I was twenty seven, like I couldn't get out. Like I and and that's like I'm just telling you just in terms of peaking like I'm like like this it's not that it was the game was easy but it was just being able to manage you know when the failure did happen like it was just this this maturity that you just are able to kick into this other gear and like physically like I was so in shape and I just knew I knew my body I knew myself I knew what I needed to do to prepare to be the best like you just like know so much more about yourself um when you're playing older as opposed to younger because when you're younger you're still trying to figure it out but definitely peaked like 27 28 and is my my biggest advice to any young lady who's coming out of college it's like play the game as long as you possibly humanly can you know I know like you said, opportunities are few, far in between, but it's, it's literally like, it's, it's mind blowing the things that you can achieve and accomplish at that, that age and that level. Absolutely. So what advice would you give a 12 year old out there? That's like, I need to peak before college because I need to get recruited. Like there's a lot of pressure right now on on the youth athlete. So like, what advice would you give on in that regard? Honestly, I, I, I would discourage that because, you know, we, as we know, peaking prior to college will do nothing for you once you get to college. And so I think, again, going back to, you know, coaches are recruiting potential and they're, they're not recruiting perfection. And so they don't want, they're, they're not looking for that athlete who's like peaked. Um, and I think it's, I, I think when we talk about just the mentality this day and age, it's like that instant gratification. And I think really if my advice to a 12 year old is like, enjoy being a 12 year old and enjoy being a kid and enjoy the journey because like, those are like my best memories is like when I, like I share about falling in love with the game, it's like really, really like this, like love affair that like just changed daily. Like I just love the game more and more every single day because there's like new things that you're learning, new things that you can get good at. And like, I really value that time, you know, now looking back in my career and and like those are times and days that you don't get back. And so as a 12 year old, like enjoy being a 12 year old, enjoy learning the game. And from a 12, 12 year old's perspective, I should say, and, and, and not looking too far ahead, you know, yes, obviously have goals, have, you know, an idea of where you want to be, but really just, I think it's that like, you know, getting that 1% better every single day. That's a, that's a suism. Um, and something that I'm sure that we hear all the time, but just really like that journey of just really being the best you at 12 and not so much being yeah. trying to be um, an 18 year old at 12 years old, you know, trying to be your 18 year old self. Like that's just sounds like not fun at all. How did you like our biggest and probably longest episode yet? I told you this was going to be a big one. How cool is it to be able to learn from literally the best to ever play our game and the best to do what they do? It's incredible how much we can learn from those people who have done the thing that maybe we want to do. Like I said at the beginning, this Olympic journey 
for these athletes was something that I always wanted to live out. And I know I'm not playing in the Olympics, but it's so cool to be able to see how they did it, how they are here, how the greatest think. And this is probably why I love the last dance episodes with Michael Jordan. It's like, you can learn so much from the greats. And this week, so many dreams are going to spark by watching the Olympics. So I hope this gave you a little bit of an idea of what the best think and what the best do and how they act and and who they are as people. It's so cool to be able to get to know the behind the scenes on them. If you loved any of these episodes, if you loved the episode with Delaney about how she's overcome her ACL tear or Danielle and how she's an incredible mom to her two daughters and how she's their role model and such a good one at that. Or maybe Natasha Watley really inspired you or Caitlin Lowe. It was like, whoa, are you kidding me? Like the amount of knowledge she has as a coach. There's so many takeaways that you can have from these episodes. And these are just part, like tiny clips from their interviews. So what I did was in the show notes below, so wherever you're listening, tap the show notes and you'll be able to go to each of the episodes that we pulled for this episode. So you can go to Delaney's entire interview Aubrey's, Monica's, all of them, you'll be able to find them in the show notes to go back to and listen to and be inspired from. I am probably going to listen to this episode multiple times just because of how much it pumps me up to be able to hear from some of the greats. And so if you liked it, save it, download it to your phone, listen to it whenever you need a little boost of motivation. That's what this podcast was meant to be. It's supposed to inspire. It's supposed to teach. It's supposed to help you realize what your potential is. So I am so grateful for all of you who have been through the entire season one since last fall to now. I am so grateful to have you all here and I cannot wait to share more interviews like these and more special guests. Like, I don't want to say bigger guests because we've already had huge guests, but more guests on the show. I'm hoping to have some of my family members, especially my sisters and my dad on the podcast in season two. But just so you know, we will be back September 1st. So mark in your calendar, September 1, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. So as soon as September 1st hits, you'll be able to get your ears on the first episode of season two. And of course, just like we're going out with a bang here, we're going to start with a bang in September. So don't go too far. Now's the perfect time to listen to any of those episodes that maybe you missed because we've been, we've been here every Wednesday for almost a year. So there's a lot, a lot of amazing people on this podcast that you're going to absolutely love listening to. So with that, I don't want to say goodbye, but I kind of have to. This is this will be my send-off. Stay awkward, humble, keep smiling, and I'll see you September 1st. See you later.